As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach, and I am thrilled, as usual, to be joined by my friend and colleague, Michael Felder from Stadium, and we'll break down the biggest stories in college football in an hour or less, and if you enjoy this podcast, you probably enjoyed the rest of the feed, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Staples and Friends show. Five stars, because much like Ari Wasserman's favorite recruits. We want to make an immediate impact. And Felder, I am excited to talk to you about actual football. We had a full week one, and there's so many different things that happened. We're recording this Tuesday morning, so we're finally, we went through, what, five straight nights or six straight nights of college football. Closes out with an Ole Miss 43-24 win over Louisville, which Closes out a dreadful weekend for the ACC. We'll talk about it in a second. But it was great. It felt great to see football. It felt great to see full stadiums. And it just, you, you texted me on Monday. This is normal. You felt normal. Yeah. I Listen, I, I'll be honest. This week kicked me in the behind, or last week, if you will. Um, front, going front, not Wednesday so much. It's one game. One game's not that big of a deal. But Thursday, Friday, Saturday was rough. And, whew, buddy, whew. So I am, but no, Monday did feel normal. Monday felt like the, Monday was the part of football that I like. I know other people don't particularly like it and other people don't care about it, but Monday was, I don't know. I watched games over and over and over and over and over again and took notes and did a bunch of like charting and calculating. And so that's the part that I like. So yeah, Monday felt normal. Monday felt like it was interesting. My wife came downstairs and she was like, oh, you look like happy. Like, you look, you look like you're in a good – I was like, yeah, this is the part of football that I like, the football part. Um, glad that she recognized the surprise that is happiness in Michael Felder. Um, yeah, it's not – doesn't happen often. Doesn't happen often. Um, so, so let's get into it. And, and I do want to start where it ended, um, which is Louisville's loss. Um, you know, Ole Miss was playing without the head coach, Lane Kiffin, which is something that we – We'll need to get used to. It's something that will happen. Um, even with coaches who are vaccinated, they will test positive um, and miss games. Uh, didn't really matter. And, you know, we don't need to dwell too, too much on, on the game. 
But I, I do think that it caps off one of the themes of the weekend, which was that the ACC has had better week ones. Um, and I think it started with North Carolina. You had Clemson, uh, Miami, Louisville. There was just a number of high-profile games that I just think are going to make it harder for the rest of the season, especially as we inevitably get to a conversation about a one-loss Clemson team as a playoff contender. So where do you stand? I know you, 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 I'm sure you don't like to write off leagues and teams off of one weekend, but how do you process what just happened to the ACC's, again, we'll say marquee teams and also deeper into the roster? I mean, realistically, what? Two teams lost that were supposed to win, right? Georgia Tech and Duke. Is that is that fairly accurate? I think Clemson and Georgia was essentially a pick 'em game, and it came out with a one score one score situation. Like who lost? Well, did, who, again, it was a league game, but does North Carolina lose to Virginia Tech? Oh yeah, well I was I was saving that I was saving that for outside of this because I think for okay. North Carolina there's a lot there's there's a lot to unpack. One, they should have never been in the top ten. Which remember preseason I laughed about that. We when we talked about it, people go back and listen. I did laugh because. We didn't know who, who – who, no no answers on who was going to catch the football. Downey ended up being a good one, and then everybody else, Bo Corrales couldn't go. Coffrey wasn't healthy. They have nobody to catch the football. You just lost two running backs to the NFL. How do you replace that production? That's going to be really hard. And then on defense, they were bad a year ago, and they are still bad. And so that's what happens when you're bad on defense. So it's interesting to see how that all shakes out. So, yes, three – you're right. Three teams lost that were supposed to win. Alabama and like Miami, that's not a, is that a bad loss? No, no. So I actually thought, and I, I didn't see the, the, the clip from the press conference, but Manny Diaz, I guess got pressed a little bit about, you know, how come you weren't more ready with eight months of prep for Alabama? And he ready said, for what? I, that, well, that's what he said. He said, they do this to everybody. They just won a national championship by 30 games, 30 points. And I, like, I don't understand what people expect. Like, my main takeaway from watching Miami, Alabama, is why would anyone schedule these guys? Why would you volunteer for these the money. season openers? Right. The, right. I know. But, like, it wasn't, oh, this is something wrong with Miami. It was no. Alabama does this to everyone. So that, I thought, was a really valid point. I, I just think the problem is you want to look like you belong on the field, even in those games. And we've sure. seen a lot of teams, Michigan's of the world, People not do that. USC, Michigan, USC, yeah. absolutely in these season openers, absolutely. But- so, so, but I, I just think if you, you didn't have the other aspects of the ACC's weekend, it doesn't get rolled into it. But when it's the name is Miami, they're trying to go from being pretty good to like they're trying to go close the gap with the Clemson's of the world, and you play a game like that, and it's clear that the gap is not being closed. Yeah, they look like, I don't know, maybe the four, number 14 team in the country going up against the number one team. And when the number one team's really, really good, the number 14 team doesn't look good. And I don't think it's an indictment on them at all. I think that the reality of it is, is they seem to me like the favorite in the Coastal. And like that's the reality. And I know we talked about this from a conference game to start the season standpoint. We'll talk about Iowa and Indiana because that's another one that, ooh, you want to talk about backing yourself up against the wall to kick off the season. Uh, but yeah, no, I just, for me coming out of it, I guess I just don't have, like, it, is Clemson, is Clemson going to play a quote unquote SEC schedule? No, they're not in the SEC, but also that SEC schedule, let me tell you something, buddy, you better take LSU off the list of, see, we play these tough games, yeah. right? Yeah. 
So, I mean, it's going to be very interesting. Already seeing all the articles written about Coach O and all this after that UCLA L. So, but I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I guess I don't see, and a big part of it is I don't look at football from a conference standpoint. I look at it from a team standpoint. But if we're looking at it from a conference standpoint, what conference had a good week? Okay, so the Pac-12 did not. Right. So that's ACC that was going to be my did first. Not. Right. Um, I would say the between. Uh, I mean, so the only the only conference that had a good weekend is the SEC. Did because, they have a good weekend? Well, I think so because Alabama, Alabama, and Georgia. Yes. And then and but then LSU. And right. Then a bunch of games that did and a bunch. I mean, but let's be real, Mississippi State that didn't look good. It's not. It's not to the same level though. Like because the they didn't because they had a I mean they had a miracle comeback against La Tech but let's be real they were they were down by no, eighteen points in the fourth quarter like that's not a good that's not a good week um, Mizzou with uh, Western Michigan that wasn't good and if if um, if oh my gosh I can't, if Jacob it's not Jacob Sermon Jacob Sermon is it Jacob Sermon it was Jacob Sermon for Central Michigan Jacob Sermon if he doesn't throw if he doesn't press to overthrow that interception they're in, Central Michigan is in a position to take the lead in that football game so. For me, I just look at that as, like, I don't think anybody had a good week. Like, with the exception of Alabama and Georgia. Alabama and Georgia had a good week, and then coming out of it, who else Who else feels great? Um, honestly, I think the Mountain West had a, I think the Mountain West had a good week. Mountain West did have a good week. Should have had a better week. They, if, mm, if Fresno State doesn't have to play a game at 120 degrees week zero, and they're fresher going into week one against Oregon – they absolutely can win. They absolutely can beat that Oregon football team. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to circle back to Georgia and Clemson because for me, I don't know how you can push Georgia up without lifting Clemson up as well. Because the reality of it is, who else can do that to either one of those teams? If you take Alabama out of the mix, who else can do that? Okay, so this was my main takeaway as well. Everyone wanted to make this some massive referendum on Clemson. Sure, a huge coronation for Georgia. Yes. And I am now doing a overnight top 10 on The Athletic. And I didn't know what to do with Clemson because I was going to put Georgia at number two. But if sure. you think that Georgia is number two and you're really impressed with them defensively and stuff, Clemson's not that far behind. I put, them up, I put, I put them up four. But four, I debated exactly. anywhere from three to five because I don't think that you can take anything massively sweeping about Clemson, 
or Georgia's offense until we see them play other people. Yeah. I, I Well, I think that you can take some things away. Clemson has work to do. Yeah, you can talk uh, about – their O-line is definitely as concerning as we thought it was going to be. And, sure. And, and the big thing there, though, and this goes back to the question, who else can do that to them? And realistically, looking around the country, and not just looking in the ACC, looking around the country, who else can do what Georgia did to Clemson? Maybe Alabama and nobody else. And if nobody else can do that to them – then that's not going to be a problem for them going forward. The reality of this football game, and I hope people get this, the reality of Georgia-Clemson is it was a 3-3 tie. And DJ made a massive mistake by telegraphing a pass that was intercepted and ran back for a touchdown. A mistake away from a 3-3 tie where we see this game go into overtime. Who else can do that to Georgia? Who else can do this defensively to Georgia? Maybe Alabama? Maybe and we're talking about a team, and this is one of those things, because all these Georgia fans, they get they, they hop in your mentions and they talk all this trash. No, you see the end of the year, and at the end of the year, we was throwing the ball. And one, I understand they've got some injury issues at wide receiver, most notably Pickens, but also you throw in Blaylock is still not ready to come out and make plays. But the reality is, uh, of 30 passes, one-third of the passes that JT Daniels threw were behind the line of scrimmage. And let me go to, let me double check my my numbers. But when it comes to air yards, he has, let's go, I'll go, that he has, there were two passes in the game that traveled more than 20 yards in the air. Both of them were incomplete. One became a defensive pass interference. But if you're only throwing two passes in an entire game that go over 20 yards, you're not challenging down the field, which means nobody has to respect it. If they don't have to respect it, they can get sucked up, which is what Clemson did, which is why in the run game, they also didn't have big success. Everyone's going to point to Zamir White, and they show that big run that he had. But here's the reality. He had 36 yards on the final drive for to make, finish with 74 for the game. So if you have 42, if your leading rusher has 42 yards over the course of four quarters, that's not good. So, again, who else can do that to him? I don't think there are many teams that can do that to him. Certainly not LSU, who they, who they, I mean, they gave up the whole deal on the ground and in the air. So, I, I think that's worth noting. And if we're going to, like, let's talk content. Like, this is, let's, this is the way I'll frame it, and we'll get into Oregon, we'll get into injuries. But the way that I'll frame it is, of the contenders, right? Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama. I'll throw Oregon in the mix because people, a lot of people kind of view them as coming out of the Pac-12. Of those contenders, who do you feel the best about? Bama one? Yes. Georgia two? Probably, yeah. Who's three that you feel the best coming out of this weekend? Like you, Not that you think is the best, but you feel the best about coming out of the weekend. Right. So this is, this is why it was a weird week one because – Alabama looked great. Yeah, did their job. They did their job. Georgia defensively looked great. But every, I love it. everybody else looked underwhelming. And yeah. like they have some issues that they got to work through. And I get it. It's week one. They got to you know, sure. brush off the rust. I would throw Iowa State in that group because we think that they can be really good this sure. year. Sure. And Iowa State, I was wondering when we were going to get to them. But Iowa State, I think, is a special case that I put in a different box. Because if you watch them over the course of Matt Campbell's career there, this is what they do every single year. Yes. Yes. And they're, yes. And they didn't lose the opener this time, which they have they, done 
couple times. Oh, a couple yes. times. They are they they are vanilla and they are slow and it takes a it's bit. it's literally like um, it's like when you get into a cold tub. I don't know if you've ever done this, but like when you get into a cold tub, it's this like they have, for them the season is the shock of the cold tub is the season, and their the first game for them is always them getting their feet in and then slowly kind of sinking into that cold tub or that ice bath so that their body can be fully ready for the entire season. That's what they do. So I don't put them in the same category because they never, they don't blow people out in week one. Right. They go slow. But Ohio State usually blows people out week one. Yeah. I, I think based on the second half, you feel better about Ohio sure. State. But they, they also still- changed what they were doing. And that's a right. different, like, they had to change things. Instead of being a vertical stretch, they had to get C.J. Stroud comfortable with these shallow passes in the screen game and all these things before he could finally say, okay, now I know how to put it on the head for Olave or for Wilson down the field. So it's going to be interesting to see. But I don't feel like – I guess – let's let's say Ohio State, you feel third. You feel good about them. They're the third, third place team that you feel good about, right? And then Clemson versus Oklahoma, who do you feel better about? Right. I, I don't know. I mean, Clemson it's, for me. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that part of it's, you know, all these people hopping off this bandwagon. Part of it's seeing what DJ was able to do last year. Because I think sure. there, there were a lot of people taking shots at him individually where it was that felt up, unfair. Dude. And, I mean, he the Georgia was in the backfield on every play. I mean, yeah. what you more can't throw the ball. You can't throw the ball off your back. and. He's a stand-up dude. He 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 took ownership of it. I think that's really was really cool to see. Um, he 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 owned kind of owned the room when he did his press conference, I believe, yesterday, and owned it and just said, "Hey, I, I have to play better. We all have to play better. We got to do this." Yeah, better. I think and, I think he's gonna be great. I think he's gonna yeah, be great. So, um, so but I don't know. I mean, maybe them. I, I it's really hard to tell when you play different types of teams. Like I think Tulane's pretty good. Oklahoma sure. should not have struggled the way that they did. Here's but like, thing- it's it's hard to compare. Here's the thing with Oklahoma. There's two things. One, I love their initial penetration up front. They 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 are buying into what Alex Grinch likes, which is the idea of that pre-snap movement and then slants and stunts and all those things. They have to tackle better. The bad tackling is infuriating. And then there's a play, I think it's the third quarter, five minutes and 49 seconds to go in the third quarter, where one of their players tackles their own player. It's like they're playing football with their eyes closed sometimes. A guy, one of somebody tackled Asamoah, like he tackled his own player who was trying to make the tackle on the guy that had the actual football. And I was like, what is, you can't do this and then give up the first down. That's insane. But they have to tackle better. I think that's job one for Oklahoma. The other, the other part though, and not to, I don't want to belabor the point on defense for them. What I want to look at is how is it you only scored three points in the, in the second half? Only three? 37 going into halftime. They have this thing where they, I, I don't know, like Tulane didn't adjust that much. So what's different? It's like they, once they think they've got a win, they throttle it down and then they can't restart it. And I think that's going to be interesting to see going forward because the reality is it's a two half game and you can't throttle down at halftime and feel great, especially with your defense, not always making those tackles that you need them to make. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, I don't know. I'm, there were there's things to like about Oklahoma, but then to me that second half, I just am like, come on, man, you guys got to get it going. You have to get you have to you have to come out with the same energy that you started that that game with, and that's going to be interesting moving forward how they handle it. Um, obviously, we have Ohio State, Oregon coming up, and I guess the big thing one, I truly believe Oregon should have lost that football game, and if Fresno State was healthy and fresh, they would have. 
I will say this. For you, I, I, this is something that I've seen consistently because I also was watching, I think it was Washington State and uh, Nevada. That was also on Pac-12 Network, I believe. Let me see. Let me, let me check the numbers. Yeah, no, excuse me. Utah State and Washington State. Nevada played Cal on FS1. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people like, I can't watch that game. I don't see it. And so I see all the Pac-12 Network jokes. So if you don't get the Pac-12 Network, I don't think you should get to talk about these games because you're not watching them. So that's interesting. But with Oregon, I think the headline is how healthy can Kayvon Thibodeau be? Right. And I wonder, so obviously that's a major factor. We're talking about maybe the best player in the country. Yeah. Um, And the latest from Mario Cristobal on Monday was that he was kind of day-to-day and improving. We don't know what that means. No one knows what that means. I don't think we're going to know till Saturday. They put him in a boot on the sideline on Saturday. So, I mean, I don't – like, as someone who's been on the sidelines, as someone who's seen who gets a boot versus who gets taped, maybe it's a precaution because they're playing Fresno State and they're like, oh, we can win this game without him. Let me tell you something. You almost didn't win the game without him because the difference between him being in the game, which led to uh, other people being able to create sack opportunities, which led to his big sta- – his strip sack that led to a touchdown for them, like – you need him in the game, and maybe it's a precautionary measure was to put him in the boot. So we'll see what happens. But I am, if they don't have him, we saw Jake Hayner in Fresno State's offensive line kind of pick them apart. I think Ohio State's going to find a way to do that with the best wide receiver duo in the country. Right. I think that's the, the bigger thing is, is what that difference looks like against the Buckeyes because, you know, we were talking about C.J. Stroud getting comfortable, working through some stuff. Um, but it's sort of it, – it, to me, some of the areas where Oregon would be maybe exploitable match up fairly well for Ohio State. Like, I want to flip it offensively as well with Anthony Brown at quarterback. I don't think their ceiling is that high as an offense for Oregon. And if, there were a couple moments where he had open guys that he, that he didn't time the ball right. He didn't get it to them when they were open or find the right guy. And Ohio State's main defensive issue in the secondary is allowing big plays. Like, that kind of matches up to me a little bit, where I think there's going to be some opportunities for Ohio State to work through some stuff. But maybe you disagree. I just – I don't know that Anthony Brown is what Oregon and Mario Cristobal's, like, ideal offense is. I just feel like he – coming off of these multiple season-ending injuries, he just – I'm not sure it's it's – I'm not sure what the ceiling is. I um, Well, here's the thing. There, there are a couple things for me. One, I thought he looked healthier than he's looked in years. And that that's a positive for him. He looked faster than he's looked. He looked a little bit leaner as well. Um, not going to fully equate it to the Justin Fields transition from a season ago, but definitely kind of in that wheelhouse where he looks a little bit more lean, a little bit more explosive, which is great for them. He looked good on the ground. I don't want him – like, I love watching him run. I don't want him to run because I don't want him to get hurt. I think the big thing for me was the way that Fresno State plasters to um, receivers and whether it's zone or man, the windows were smaller and he was expecting different things. Like it's a zone look, but the way that they pattern match gives some problems. And I do think, I don't think Ohio State's biggest problem is the big plays. I think the, pro, I think the reason, I think it's like, I think the big plays are a symptom of a disease and the disease is the fact that they don't um, pattern match very well. So, they do, and it, it basically, there's more spot dropping than you want and, and when they're in zone coverage specifically. They drop to a space, a landmark, and then they don't 
carry collision or then match up. So it's basically, and we saw, and here's the problem. Tanner Morgan is really good at this. He's really good at knowing where the zone hole, where the holes are in the zone. And then his guys sit down and then he hits them in the hole. And then what happens next is what you're talking about. That big play where now those guys can run because he hit them in the window. You hit them in the window, you hit them out in front, you hit them in stride. Now they can run, make a guy miss. Now you get to that big play part of it. But I think a big part of it is their zone. And obviously they've proven and they, they just defensively, I think they're still wondering who they are in the secondary. I, I think Proctor, and we'll see if he's healthy or how healthy he actually is. That's going to be interesting for Ohio state. I think he's probably, he was their best player in the secondary on on Thursday night. Um, then the rest of these guys, Look, we didn't we didn't see seven banks and and I was again I said on the show a couple of weeks ago I'm hoping that he has kind of a comeback redemption big season so that he can become one of those a, a big name there and we didn't even really get to see him in that ball game so that means that hey either he's hurt and they're not telling us or the other part which is probably more of the answer is we like these other guys better so we'll see what they get out of their secondary I think it's going to be an interesting game I, the, the problem is I don't think that whether it's I think Micah Pittman is – he can be scary if you put him in – if he understands what he's coming up against. But what happens down the line with with with, with Hudson and Johnny Johnson is going to be interesting because they've got to find ways to create big plays. And part of that big plays part, – part of those big plays are sitting down in zone and, and, and then Brown throwing guys open when they when it comes to, to, to man coverage. So how do you see this game going? Where is it decided? I think Ohio State has more horses in the stable, and I think that's a major difference maker. Uh, unlike Fresno State, I don't think that Oregon's going to be able to lean on them to get the win. And don't get me wrong, though. I'm going to tell you. I hope, listen, put your mouthpiece in and buckle your chin strap. If you are uh, a running back for Ohio State, obviously CJ Stroud, you too, because Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, they will they are coming for that head. Those dudes are nasty and seeing like even just getting hyped to see Sewell hit get the pick and get get the the stick and poke was just unbelievable to like just put his face right on that guy's and just put him down and then also poke the ball out or pull it out was just beautiful to see. So they got a good crop of young linebackers there. I don't think they're gonna be okay immediately without Thibodeau. So hopefully he just, again, hopefully it's just precautionary measures, but certainly excited to see those guys get after it. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to hit on the other um, most interesting game to me this weekend, which is the Cy Hawk game, Iowa Iowa State. 
Sure. And where both of these programs are coming in, because I, I feel like if you didn't watch Iowa the last six games of last year and just watch what they were doing to people, maybe you're surprised by the opener against Indiana. And and this is there's no other way to say that it was incredibly disappointing for Indiana. Like this sure. is coming in with the most amount of hype ever. And Michael Penix is back and healthy and he made a ton of mistakes. And he does not look com- – we're talking about guys coming off of injuries. Like, he does not look comfortable um, as someone who has a history of injuries. He is talking – I mean, he also has owned all these mistakes. But, like, his – you know, you've got Tom Allen just saying he looked off. All these different things. They were out of that game, like, three minutes into the game. Iowa, on the other hand, looks great. Um, and, like, Riley Moss was great. Two, two pick sixes. Like, there, there's a lot to like. But we were talking about this earlier with Iowa State and the way that they start the season. I love the cold tub analogy. It creates a very interesting matchup and the timing of it, considering what they're both coming off of, because Iowa looks good to go. Iowa was one of the few teams that, you know, we we believed in coming out of week one. And Iowa State is still leaning into the cold tub. Yeah, I think for them, they know they knew when this game was. They know when this game is. They're ready to play this football game, speaking to Iowa State. Um, the big thing for me, to go backwards, to go forwards, Iowa was maybe the worst matchup for Indiana. I think Wisconsin would be on that list as well uh, because those are teams that know who they are. And there's something to be said about college football, and obviously even to go more back to go forward. UNC didn't know who they were coming into this year. Indiana's still looking for how healthy are we? Can we do this? Can we do that? Are we going to be as explosive as we were a year ago? Let's see what happens. But Iowa, they know who they are. They know who they are, and they know what they can do. And more importantly, and I think this is something that's remarkably important in college football, it's knowing what you can't do. And that's something that I don't think nearly enough people talk about. Because once you know what you can do, or more, excuse me, once you know what you can't do, you take all the stuff that you can do, and then you can mix it up and really lean in on it. And the way that they were able to, it's all going to be zone coverage, baby. It's all zone coverage. But what's the zone coverage look like? Does it? Oh, it looks like two highs. Nope, that two high spins down, and now we got one high. Oh, it, it looks like one high. That one high turns into, we are going to play a little bit of, of one high man, but it's only been down to we're going to bring pressure to you, and it's going to look different. Oh, we're going to play two over the top, but we're also going to we're gonna slice it so the safeties come down and the corners go back. And we're going to do a bunch of different things that confuse your quarterback, make him think he's seeing things that aren't there, which leads to interceptions. And then, oh, and by the way, we got... We also know another thing that we can do. We can muscle up up front, and we can stop the run with six players. And I think that's going to be interesting on both sides of this Seahawks game because both teams have the ability to stop the run with five and six guys, which does lead to both confusion in the passing game but also more guys dropped in the passing game. And we'll see who's more successful uh, finding ways to run the football because that's going to be humongous – in this effort, I expect to see a close football game. I expect to see a game where both teams want to establish the run. Both teams want to confuse the other from a defensive standpoint. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be really fun and, um, and, and quite telling. And I did not realize that Iowa's won the last five straight, despite 
Matt Campbell and, and Iowa State's emergence. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Wanted to just give a couple of quick other injury updates uh, that came out on Monday. Ronnie Bell, Mo Ibrahim, uh, both out for the year. Those are injuries that, you know, are just brutal for Minnesota and, and Michigan. Those were centerpiece of the offense. Guys, um, so, you know, that potentially impacts Big Ten races, possibly in the West. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that is something to keep an eye on who ended up stepping up there. And I think, you know, Ronnie Bell in particular is, is really tough considering, you know, you're wondering if, you know, Jim Harbaugh can finally get this offense going, if the staff turnover is, is what it needs to be. You know, Kid Cade McNamara be the guy at quarterback that can be consistent there. And, and to lose your most versatile playmaker is, uh, is pretty tough. And then um, Ibrahim was just – phenomenal and that's just it's just a shame yeah those are both tough and watching like it's yeah it's, it's brutal and, and and obviously we saw the air go out of minnesota sales when mo went down which was really rough to watch like it's it it was a tangible it was sort of a a, a, a tangible record of how much he meant to that team both in production but also in spirit because they weren't once he went down they were not the same football team yeah, so I think those are those are you know obviously week one injuries are the worst and you know everyone's worked super hard all off season to get to these positions and then to go out like that and have to readjust um, just a just a major bummer and so uh, that's always the worst part about things getting going here um, but I do want to talk about some of the best parts of the weekend and I think we can honestly at least for me make it into my last call sure um, so our our last call is always something that we want to cheers to or rant about or whatever we would be buying around to at two in the morning as the bar is closing. And my last call goes to Mackenzie Milton. This was a moment that felt like it was a Disney movie happening in real life. I don't think anyone could have scripted it the way that it was, especially against Notre Dame. So you already have most of the country rooting against Notre Dame. And then you have this moment where Mackenzie Milton comes in. He's leading this comeback, and it's working, and it's exciting. And he looks like this great quarterback that he was at UCF. He looks healthy. He's scrambling. We're all we're all watching Mackenzie's mom watch her son and freak out. And it was this incredible moment of, like, you felt – the whole country coming together to root for this kid who's overcome so much, wasn't sure he would ever get to play football again. And it was so special. And I, I don't know if anything this season is going to top it. Like, and it was right out of the gate, but it was one of those moments where you're like, this is why we love sports. This is why we love college sports because of what was at stake, because of just wanting to get back out there to play another snap like we celebrated all these different milestones of him getting back to practice and you know him being able to jog and and him being able to scrimmage and all these things and it's super different to get to watch it in a game against Notre Dame in prime time and to get to see him enjoy it to get to see him be great again it it was just it was so cool and I, I just think like this is why we do this I mean I know you love the X's and O's but for so many of us 
it's these types of moments is why you watch because you never know what's going to happen. And when someone like that that's worked so hard just for the opportunity to be on the sidelines and you don't really even know if you're going to play, it's just – it was just incredible. No, it, I thought it was fantastic. And it was – like, he played well. Like, and that's good. And, like, now they have – realistically, they have, they have two options at quarterback, which is going to be very interesting to see how it takes shape moving forward. Obviously, I think a lot of folks are hoping that he gets the, gets the job. But it – they're only in that position to be able to push that game to overtime because Jordan Travis played pretty well. And we didn't even talk about Notre Dame and Florida State, but the reality of it is, is like, should you feel like, should you feel better about Clemson or Notre Dame? Like, that's one of those things. Like, I had Notre Dame fans being, during the Clemson game, being like, oh, they shouldn't even be that, rank that high. And then it was like, we're going to destroy Florida State. And then it's like, oh, no, we almost lost. And things are not good for us either. So it's going to be interesting. But, yes, for, regarding Milton, that was really cool to see. Excited for him. Obviously excited for Florida State. They look like they've got a pulse and they've got things they've got to figure out. But it's nice to see. I, I just, for me, and you, you mentioned the reason why you do this. The reason I do it is because just it's it's good to have a chance. And they had a chance to win. And they didn't win, and that sucks. And it's heartbreaking. And there's people that argue that you'd rather just get blown out than have a chance at the end, but they had a chance at the end. I thought that was really good. And goodness gracious, maybe you, you didn't ice your own kicker to review that weird fumble, incomplete pass situation. You, you, you're, 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 you get a ch- you get a second chance to win. But either way, I thought that the entire thing was inspiring. I'm headlined by Milton, but also watching their defensive line play. They look proud. They look like that's a proud group in terms of historically from a Florida State standpoint. They look proud and they got to the quarterback and they made they calls they created chaos and they call, they wreaked havoc and I thought that was really good. And the offensive line, they 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 looked better than they've looked in what, 3 or 4 years and that was nice to see. And the running backs were able to I mean they they made Notre Dame look slow a couple times and that was one of those things that's again it's in listen I'll tell you what, if Kyle Hamilton doesn't make that interception, which was remarkable, then we're, we might be talking about Florida State beating that team because it's unbelievable. Hamilton saved their bacon several times, and he looked like – I mean, he looked, uh, he looked like someone who a lot of people are projecting as a top-five pick, which is really cool to see. Um, my last call, I'm keeping it – I'm keeping it real. This is last call, last call. This is, this is a New York last call. This is at 4 a.m. I'm tired. I am tired. Somebody get me in an Uber so I can get to my hotel room. I am beat. I I am beat. I know we talked about it at the top of the show, but woo, buddy. To go wire to wire Thursday, Friday, Saturday was brutal. And Saturday night was woo. That was a that was a 2.30 in the morning, get in the bed, like, and then get up at 7.15, 7.20 to do notes, to send stuff to producers type of day. And it felt normal. It felt like what I'm supposed to be doing. But I'm glad that we don't have the full thir- the whole, the whole full Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Listen, thank you to the bar gods or to the college football gods for no Thursday games this week. Just a, just a little Friday and then a regular Saturday because I can't – listen – what did my man say in uh, the movie Life with Eddie Murphy and, uh, Mar- and Martin Lawrence? He said, he tired, boss. <laughs> and literally just, whew, tired. Well, it's, tired. it's, it's like the, the Iowa State ice bath. It's ve- it's, we got to get our bodies 
yeah. used to the season. It, well, the, I felt the same. It's it's really hard. Those early, <laughs> those first few Saturdays are a marathon, even when you're just watching them. Oh, yeah. So kudos to everybody that got it done. Um, yeah, but that's mine. Like, woo. A I, real I, last call. A yeah, that's, call. It's, it's, that's, that's the last call where you leave a half-drink beer at the bar and just go home. <laughs> we will end it there, um, and we'll be back for more power hour next tuesday um if you are not already an athletic subscriber you can sign up at theathletic.com slash nicole for a special on your first year andy staples will be back on the feed ari wasserman will be back later this week and thank you for listening to this episode of power hour for michael felder i'm nicole auerbach we'll be back next tuesday and thanks for listening